If you have your Bible today, I'd like you to open, if you would, to Luke chapter 21, and we're going to begin in verse 5 today. Luke chapter 21 and verse 5, and I'd like to make it through verse 24. We're going to read through verse 24, but I don't think we're going to make it because I know me, and I, I can't hardly do a whole lot of verses at a time. But just to kind of orient you, to remind you where we are in the life of Jesus, you remember that um, he is about 48 hours, he has about 48 hours left to live. Okay, he's, he's entered Jerusalem to fanfare, I mean men, women, and children were celebrating, they were, were uh, laying out their clothes uh, for this, this donkey that he was riding to, uh, to walk upon, they were, they were waving palm branches, singing Hosanna, they were, they were excited about this Messiah that was coming into the city. They worshipped him, they praised him. He came in and he made a lot of waves. He, he drove the money changers out of the temple, people who were buying and selling. He ran them out. And, uh, and he's daily been going into the temple complex, preaching and teaching, and the people have loved it. They're hanging on every word that he's saying, and, and, and crowds are assembling around him. But not everybody is loving this Jesus. And there's all kinds of messianic expectation, all kinds of messianic fervor. But there are people in the crowd, namely the religious elite, who hate him. They, they, they reject him as Messiah. They resent that he's gaining popularity and kind of stealing it from them, kind of stealing their limelight. He's exposed them for their hypocrisy. And, and so they, they try and trap him in statements that he's making, uh, at least to cause him to lose support with the people, and at best in their minds to end up getting him put to death. Jesus foils all their plans, and, and he continues teaching and, and preaching. And today he's going to talk about the destruction of Jerusalem and the end of the world. Now, end times is a, a very popular uh, a speculation today. There's, uh, there's almost an obsession with the end of the world. I mean, if you go into, uh, you can't hardly find a Christian bookstore now, but, but if, you, if you could find a Christian bookstore, if you look on Amazon or, or Barnes & Noble or someplace like that, you'll find book after book of, of people who are talking about the end of the world. Some people have made it their life's work and, and their, their, their ministry to talk about end-time prophecy. But one of the things that I noticed about Jesus is that he says very little in relation to all the other things that he says. He says very little about the end. Have you noticed that? I mean, he says a whole lot about things like heaven and a whole, whole lot about hell and your need to miss hell and your need to repent and, and put your faith in him to escape hell. He talks about things like prayer and, and the right handling of money. He talks about all these other things a whole lot more than what he talks about uh, the end. <clears throat> Something else you probably have noticed, I've noticed this, is that some people are very passionate about their ideas about the end of the world. Have you ever noticed that? I mean, some people are so married to their idea and, and their view of what's going to happen in the future, they use it like a test of orthodoxy. And if you're not an exact cookie-cutter replica of what they believe... You might not even be saved, they think. And so, um, I, I believe it was Augustine who said, in the essentials unity, in non-essentials liberty, and in all things charity. In other words, in those things that, that matter the most in the essentials, you know, the, who Jesus is and his work on the cross, we need to be united around that. In these non-essential, these tertiary things, we, we can have some liberty. We don't have to have the same views, and, and that's okay. But in all things, whether we agree or disagree, we need to love one another. And I think this is one of those areas where we need to make sure we have a healthy dose of love for one another. Now, what we're going to do is we're going to look at what Jesus says about his return, but mainly about the destruction of Jerusalem. Because that's really the bulk of what he talks about in chapter 21. And, and, and really, almost the whole chapter covers 
this, uh, this, this idea of the end of the world and the destruction of, of Jerusalem. Now, chapter 21 is kind of like a big hole. Verses 5 through 38 uh, talk, about these, talk about all this stuff about the, the destruction of Jerusalem in the end. But it's broken up into two main sections, verses 5 through 24 and then 25 through 38. Like I said, I'm going to be ambitious. I'm going to read down through verse 24, but I know we're not going to get all of it covered. So if you're able to, uh, please stand in honor of God's word. We'll pick up in verse 5, and we're going to read down to verse uh, 24. It says, And while some were talking about the temple, that it was adorned with beautiful stones and votive gifts, he said, As for these things which you are looking at, the days will come in which there will not be one stone uh, one, there will not be left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. They questioned him, saying, Teacher, when therefore will these things happen, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See to it that you are not misled. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. When you hear of wars and disturbances, do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but the end does not follow immediately." Then he continued by saying to them, Nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. And there will be great earthquakes and in various places plagues and famines. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all these things, they will lay their hands on you and will persecute you, delivering you to the synagogues and prisons, bringing you before kings and governors for my name's sake. It will lead to an opportunity for your testimony. So make up your minds not to prepare beforehand to defend yourselves, for I will give you utterance and wisdom which none of your opponents will be able to resist or refute. But you will be betrayed even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and they will put some of you to death, and you will be hated by all because of my name. Yet not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance you will gain your lives, but when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then recognize that her desolation is near." Then those who are in Judea must flee to the mountains, and those who are in the midst of the city must leave, and those who are in the country must not enter the city, because these are days of vengeance, so that all, th- all things which are written will be fulfilled. Woe to those who are pregnant and to those who are nursing babies in those days, for there will be great distress upon the land and wrath to this people, and they will fall by the edge of the sword and will be led captive into all nations, and Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. Thank you. You may be seated. Now, the first thing I want you to see is the, the, the questions that started it all. The questions that started it all. Look back at verse 5. Uh, some people, verse 5 says, and Matthew and Mark, uh, if you want to read the, the, there are parallel passages. There's Matthew 24 and Mark 13 and Luke 21. Those are all parallel passages. It's called the Olivet Discourse. And Matthew and Mark both tell us that it was the disciples who were talking to Jesus. That they were the ones who were looking around and, and, and commenting on the beauty of the temple. Now understand, this is not the temple Solomon built. Okay, Because sometimes we, we read the Bible, we read the temple, and we read back in the Old Testament. You remember David wanted to build a house for the Lord, but God said, You're a man of bloodshed, you've been in, in war and all this stuff, so you don't get to build my house, but your son Solomon... We'll get to do that. And so sometimes we read that, and then we jump to the New Testament, we read about the temple. We think they're the same. They're not. Remember, in, uh, Solomon built this temple a long, long time ago. And then 587, 586 B.C., the Babylonians came in. They ransacked Jerusalem, and they destroyed Jerusalem and the temple. It was later rebuilt in the days of Ezra. 
And so it, it was going on. It, it was not nearly as magnificent as what uh, Solomon's temple was. But then about 20 B.C., Herod the Great began to renovate and enlarge the temple complex. Now before, now, now the Temple Mount, you, you, you've all seen the Temple Mount before, right? If you, even if you haven't been there, you've seen pictures. You've seen the, the big blue building with the, the golden dome. That's not the temple. That's a mosque. That's the dome on the rock. But it's built in the same place that the temple used to sit. And it's up on a big hill. And used to, in the days of Solomon, that whole complex, because there was the temple proper and then there were courts around it, that used to be about 17 acres of, of space that was taken up with the temple complex. So Herod the Great, he comes along, and he's trying to do something to, to get the Jews to like him a little bit better because they all hated him. And so what he began to do is he began to build and enlarge this temple complex. And it took 83 years before it was done. Now, I've seen some construction on the interstate that's taken about that long. <laughs> he began it in 20 B.C. He died before it was ever done. In fact, the, the temple only took you know, a year and a half, two years, or, or something like that to complete and to renovate. But that whole area was still under construction when Jesus was, from the time he was an infant all the way to the time of his death. And it wasn't done until about 30 years after his death. Now, the temple and the workmanship were incredible. I mean, it, 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 the, the, the temple itself was made of, of white stone, and it had a golden cornice around the top. And, and there were votive offerings. They had golden chains. There was wreaths of gold. They, there were all kinds of precious materials that had been brought in and beautified it. And when travelers would see it, they said it looked like a snow-capped mountain from a distance. I mean, it, it, was, it was a beautiful thing to behold. Some of the foundation stones were like 40-foot-long stones. I mean, this, this, is, this is huge. And what they did, basically, and, and the, you might not think this is interesting. I think it's interesting because I think of how much work it is to move stuff by shovel. What they did, so understand, they basically doubled the size of this mound. And what they did was they basically built a great big retaining wall out of these huge stones, and then they backfilled it. So you think of all the backfill that had to, had to be brought in for you know, 17, 18 acres worth of stuff. That's a lot of work. So they, they filled all this up, made about 36 um, uh, uh, acres. Beautiful, beautiful place. And it was not uncommon. I mean, the, the ancients said it was one of, the, one of the wonders of the ancient world was to see this temple. And so, so the, the, the disciples are there. They're looking at the magnificence. And haven't you ever been to something? And you, maybe you've seen it a hundred times, but when you look at it, sometimes it's just so breathtaking. You're just like, man, this is just such a pretty place. And that's what these disciples were doing. Remember, they're just simple fishermen. They've been to the temple before, but, but this was just an incredible place. And, and so they're looking at all these things, and, and we don't know if it was just because they were just awestruck by the way the light was shining on. We, we don't know. But anyway, they said to Jesus... Look at the beauty of this temple. Isn't this incredible, Jesus? They pointed out, and Jesus uses this as an opportunity to prepare his people. Now, if you look at verse 6, he drops a bombshell on them. He says, don't be impressed with what you're looking at because it's all coming down. And understand, this would have shaken the disciples to their core. I mean, this would have been like saying, hey, guys, the end of the world's getting ready to happen. I mean... and, and understand, they're thinking, in all likelihood, how can this be? I mean, because this is this magnificent place, it's huge, it's stone. 
surely this isn't going to get torn down, but also they probably had the same idea that was present back in Jeremiah 7. Back in Jeremiah 7, there were people who were looking at, at these invading armies and stuff, and they said, that won't happen here because God's presence is here. His temple is here. So the, the temple is here. The temple is here. God won't let these, these armies overrun his temple. And so it's likely that they had this idea that nothing bad can happen to us because here's the temple. Here is God's presence. And so Jesus prepares them for its complete destruction. Look at what he says. He says, verse 6, The days will come in which there will not be left one stone upon another, which will not be torn down. Now, remember I said that there was a gold cornice up, up top. Not gold paint. It was gold. And there was a fire when, when all this stuff was taking place. The, the, the Romans had surrounded Jerusalem. There was a fire within the temple. Guess what happens to gold when it gets hot? It melts. And that gold melted and ran down in between the stones of the temple. And when the invading armies came in, guess what they did? They tore the stones apart to get that gold. It, it was literally fulfilled what Jesus said was going to happen. So he, he prepares them for, their complete, for his complete destruction. And notice in verse 7 the alarm that's in their, in their question. They question him saying, Teacher, when, therefore, will these things happen? And what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? In other words, Jesus, give us a clue of what's going to happen to Jerusalem. When, when is this going to be? And here we move into Jesus' teaching. And the first thing I want us to do is just make some general observations about what he says. Because we only read part of what he said. But even the part that we, that we saw, I want you just to make some, some big picture observations. First, notice he does not have the end of the world prim- primarily in view here. His first and primary item that he's dealing with is the destruction of the temple, which would happen about 40 years after he made the prediction. So he made this prediction in, in the, the mid-30s A.D. 70 A.D. is when Titus led the armies in and destroyed Jerusalem. Notice how much of this language is geared towards you, the, the people to whom Jesus is speaking. In other words, they would experience the things that he was talking about. Now I mention all this because later he slides from the horrors that surround the destruction of Jerusalem into his, the, the way things are at his return. And, and if, you've, if you've ever noticed on TV shows and movies, sometimes they'll crossfade. One scene will crossfade into another, and it just kind of blends into one. That's what's going on here. And, and he, he does like the Old Testament prophets would do. They would often group their prophecies more by theme than time. And so they would, they would talk about a, a, a more immediate, uh, lesser fulfillment, and then a later, fuller fulfillment. So, for instance, in Isaiah 7.14, we read it every Christmas, the version shall be the child, and so on and so forth. In Isaiah 7, there was a young unmarried woman, a virgin, to whom Isaiah was referring. By the time that, this would, by the time that she gave birth to a, a, a son, these certain things would happen. That pointed ahead, and, and, and that was immediately, uh, that, that there was like a near fulfillment, but later on, Jesus was the fuller fulfillment when a virgin gave birth to a son, Jesus Christ. And so, so he takes this, this picture of the destruction of Jerusalem and says, this is going to happen, but that's just a picture of even worse, worser stuff that's going to be happening later. Okay? So let's look at what he says. We're not going to get very far. We're going to look at just two things that he says today. First, I want you to see that there will be a proliferation of deceivers that come in his name. 
Look at verse 8. He gives a warning and a sign. Now, he doesn't do this elsewhere. He, he often give, he, he gives signs. He says, this is going to happen, and this is going to happen, and this is going to happen. But here he says, this is going to happen, and here's what you need to do about it. He says, don't be misled. Verse 8. See to that you're not misled, for many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is near. Do not go after them. In other words, you need to pay attention. You need to be on the lookout. Don't be gullible. Don't believe everything you see. Don't believe everything you hear. Don't be fooled. Now, why is this important? Why is he giving this specific warning? Well, he's giving it because evidently there's going to be, uh, there will be a lot of people and probably many Christians who are going to be fooled. Fooled by what? Well, look at what he says in verse 8. Many will come in his name, Jesus said, and claim either one to be the Messiah or two, claim that it's the end of the world. And I would say, or three, claim that it's the end of the world and they are the Messiah that you should follow because of that. Now, the church has always dealt with false messiahs. This is not something new. I mean, we think about David Koresh and the the Branch Davidians. We think about Jim Jones. We think about all these different groups of of people, all these different whack jobs that are are leading people astray. And, and, And we think that that's a new thing, but it's not. That is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, the word Antichrist is made of two words, or two parts. Anti means against or instead of, and Christ is the, the, the Messiah, the anointed one. So, the Antichrist is someone who stands against Christ, either openly, overtly, they oppose him, or they try to mislead others to follow, worship, etc., someone or something other than Christ. Now, when we think of the Antichrist, we think of in the world stuff, don't we? We think of this, uh, not, not a mystical picture in, in our minds, but we think of this, this, this figure that's off in the future, this terrible person, and, and there will come that. But understand, even in the early church, the inspired Apostle John said that the spirit of Antichrist was even in the world at that point. Here are a couple of verses for you. 1 John chapter 2, verse 18. Children. Now, he's not talking to kids. He's talking about... Adult, he's talking to adults, but it's a term of endearment. Children, it is the last hour. And just as you heard the Antichrist is coming, so there's that end times figure, even now many Antichrists have appeared. From this we know that it is the last hour. Then just four verses later, who is the liar but the one who denies that Jesus is the Christ? This is the Antichrist, the one who denies the Father and the Son. And then two chapters later, uh, chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. By this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist of which you have heard that it is coming. And listen to this. And now it is already in the world. So there have always been people who set out to deceive other people. And, and, and they set out to deceive Christians. They'll, they'll try to mislead you. They'll try to get you to follow someone or something besides Jesus. Even people who claim to be the Messiah. I, I saw a, 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 an article online the other day. There's all kinds of stuff going on down in Africa. I, I believe it's where it was. In, in, in various parts of that continent. And there was, there was one so-called preacher who had gotten so much control in his congregants' lives that he told them that if they didn't eat grass like a cow, they wouldn't go to heaven. 
and there, there were people who were out on, the, out on the ground, and they're just shoveling grass into their mouths. I mean, people are so easily misled, and Jesus says, that stuff's coming, be on the lookout, don't be misled by it. You, you have somebody that comes up to you, or you see them on TV, you see them on the internet, they claim to be a Messiah, don't believe it. They're not, that's not Jesus. Jesus, the, the Bible says that when he shows up, everybody's going to see it. It's not going to be a, a secret thing where, where they say, oh, he's over here, he's over there. He's, every eye shall behold him. You won't have to wonder when Jesus shows up. Now, there will be false messiahs, and some people, and some of these false messiahs will claim it's the end of the world. They'll claim that, 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 that it's the end of the world as we know it. I mean, the, everything's coming down, and oh, we need to, you know, all this stuff, and they get people worked up. And listen, I believe in, in fulfilled prophecy. And we are nearer to the time of Jesus' return than we've ever been. But we need to be wary when people see a sign of the time in everything that happens. And no doubt you've, you've seen these people, you've talked to these people, you've read these people. But every time there's an eclipse, every time there's a, a nation that goes to war against another nation, every time you fill in the blank, that's a sign of the time, that's a sign of the end. That's what somebody's called newspaper eschatology. And I'm going to tell you something. It makes us as Christians look silly when we see a boogeyman behind every tree. Not everything is a fulfillment of end times prophecy. How do I know? Because what did Jesus say? He says, there are all God's people who say, I am he and the time is near. Do not what? Do not go after them. Don't believe or follow someone who claims to be the Messiah. It's not him. And when somebody says, I know when Jesus is coming back, this is it, this is the end. I mean, there, there have been books written. Does anybody remember 1988? A couple of us do. 88 reasons the rapture will happen in 1988. Guess what? Didn't happen. Harold Camping, he made all kinds of news several years back. It was the end of the world, he said. He wrote a book titled 1994? Question mark. Nope. Then he said, no, it's not, it's not then, it's May, what is it, 21st, 2011, I think it is. And that's it. That might, that's probably when it's going to happen. Guess what? Here we are. I think it's 2012. Actually, I, I just had a, a um, I, think was, I think it's today, maybe yesterday, I had a memory pop up on Facebook where they were talking how 2012 was the end of the world. I think that may have been a Mayan thing. Remember the calendar looked like an Oreo? Remember that? And that, that was going to be the end of the world. I mean, all these people... Claim to have all this knowledge. And Jesus says, don't go after him. Don't believe everything you read and hear. Because, because nobody knows the day and the hour apart from God. And, and so don't follow those people. And, and it's, he says it's one of the things that are, that's going to characterize life in this world until the end. you going to be all kinds of people leading, misleading others. So, so don't use some discernment. There's a proliferation of falsehood. The next thing I want you to see, he, he goes on in a, verse 9, and he mentions political upheaval. Political upheaval. There's, there are going to be wars, rumors of wars, disturbances, saber-rattling. Uh, he says, don't be terrified, because kingdoms have always risen against kingdoms, nation against nation. And whether it's a native tribe that's warring against another tribe, whether it's a, a, a more modern army, a nation that's going against another one, he, he says that stuff has always happened. People have always wanted and tried to kill other people. You remember when Ukraine, the, the whole battle in Ukraine started, that war? 
There were people then who said, this is a sign of the times. You remember, did anybody see that? People would say, oh, well, that's, this, is, this is a fulfillment of prophecy. This is it. Guess what? They said the same thing when Donald Trump was elected president. They said the same thing when, when Barack Obama was elected president. They said the same thing when World War II was going on. They said the same thing when World War I was going on. But nation has always risen against nation. There's always been political upheaval. There have always been people fighting and killing and doing all that stuff. And Jesus says when you hear all that, when you hear all these things, wars and disturbances, what does it say in verse 9? Do not be terrified, for these things must take place first, but what? The end does not immediately follow. And I wonder sometimes we, we, we see all these people say, oh, it's the end of the world. Look at all this stuff. All these people are fighting. And it's like, have you not read? The end does not immediately happen. Now, I believe all those things are, are, will ramp up in intensity, probably frequency, towards the end. But Jesus says that's part and parcel of, of living in this fallen world. Well, I wanted to get 19 verses done. I got five. But we'll pick up here next time because Jesus goes on and says a whole lot of stuff about what's going to happen before the destruction of Jerusalem, before his return. In the meantime, as we go out this week, I, I want you to, to, to take comfort in the fact that everything that's going on is within God's sovereign control. We look at things and we say, oh, this old world, it's, it's, everything's coming loose. If it's not da- nailed down, it's, it, it's coming loose. It, it's not spinning out of control. It's within His control and it's according to His plan. And we need to rest in that. But we also need to heed the warning that Jesus gives. There are false messiahs. There are false teachers. There's false Christianity. There's date setting. There's date setting false messiahs. There's wars. There's rumors of wars. There's political upheaval. Nation rages against nation. And Jesus says all this stuff is going to happen. Don't be terrified. Don't be misled. The end has not yet come. We don't know when the end will come. But we know that it will, and it will happen unexpectedly. It will happen surprisingly. It will happen suddenly. Jesus said he'll come like a thief in the night. When people aren't looking, when, when they're not expecting. And we will all stand before God either because it's the end or it's because it's our end. Either because it's the end of the world or it's because the, it's the end of our lives. We will all stand before God. Therefore, we need to be prepared. And the only way to be prepared for that day is to be right with God through Jesus Christ. That is the only way that, that we can stand before Him in confidence is to have repented of our sins. And we all have them. We've all had... We all break God's law. And Jesus paid the penalty for that broken law on the cross. That all who would believe in Him and put their faith in Him will have their sins forgiven and be made right with God. And if you've never put your faith in Him, again, I implore you today to do that. Once you stand with me as musicians come, and as you stand, I ask that you bow your heads and close your eyes. And with nobody looking around, I just, I want to encourage you. 
If you are distraught, when you look at the news, when you turn on the TV and you see what's going on, it's easy to get discouraged and, and, and just all kinds of trouble. It's not outside God's control. God sits in the heavens. The Bible says, why do the nations rage? Why, why, do the, why do these peoples imagine a vain thing? They, 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 they rebel against God. And the Bible says he scoffs at them. He laughs at them. Holds them in derision. Don't be misled by those false messiahs, the hucksters you see on TV, the date setters, and all the rest. Jesus said that's going to be part and parcel of life. So don't be misled, don't be fooled. Instead, be ready. Heavenly Father, thank you that you've made a way that we can be ready to stand before you. And that is through your Son, Jesus Christ. God, we know that you will one day come to this earth in judgment and in glory. And Lord, as we as we wait... I pray that you'd help us to not grow weary. I pray that you'd help us to to trust in you. And Lord, for the person maybe who's not ready to stand before you, let them become your child today. Convict them of their sin. Draw them to you. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.